all things work together for the good of them who love God. That's Romans 8, 28. And it's a verse that I believe that many Christians know by heart. I bet you could have recited it with me in the beginning of this podcast. Because it's one of those verses that we hold dear, that we rely on in tough times and under times of need. We turn to a verse like this to encourage us when times get difficult because it reminds us that God is able to do something even through the hardest things that we face in this life. But do we really understand what Romans 8.28 looks like? Do we, do we really have the ability to recognize when God is working all things to the good of our lives or for the lives of others? My name is Justin Lee. This is the More God Less Me podcast, and that's the exact question that I hope to answer today. The truth of the matter is, we hold so many verses dear in the faith, using them every chance we get. And certain verses even act like our anchors in the faith. And that's great. Scripture should be that in our life. Scripture should anchor us. It should be what we turn to in times of need. It should be in our hearts and available for use whenever we need it. We should have various scriptures stored in our minds that we can draw on in tough times. Because in tough times, that's when we need the Bible. The most, we don't need to forget about God, obviously, in the good times. But in the tough times, we need that storage of scripture. That storage that reminds us of the glory, grace, love, and promises of our God. That's what we need. But the question still remains, do we understand how those verses look in practice? Thankfully, we don't have to wonder or question or try to figure out how these verses look in practice in our own lives because we have the Bible. We have God's word. We can turn to it in our time of need and we can see how God really applied verses such as Romans 8:28 or John 3:16 or Philippians 4:13 in the lives of others. Now, obviously, we're going to focus on Romans 8.28, and that's definitely the case in Romans 8.28. We can see in our Bible through multiple examples throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of how God was working all things to the good of those who believe and to those who love him. God has given us practical examples of how he works all things to the good of those who believe, examples that we can look to to understand this verse better. And we have those examples to turn to, and I'm so excited to do it today. But before we turn to those examples, before we really dive into this, let's look at what Romans 8.26 says as it's written in the Scripture. It says, And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. That's a powerful verse. But it's also a verse that's powerfully misused in our world and in our church today, or our churches today. Because it's heavily focused on self. That's how this verse gets twisted. We twist it to be heavily focused on self. The sad truth is that in our culture in the United States is often the cause for this. Because we, it causes us to fall into an all-about-me mentality. We believe that we're the focus of every verse in the Bible. In this case, we apply... Romans 8, 28, to mean that God will work everything for our own personal good. It's almost as if God said, and we know that God will work all things together for the good in your life. But that's not what the verse says. Bible doesn't say God will work every situation you face for your own personal good. That's not what the Bible says. But he says that we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We have to understand what that verse means. We're not the focus of that verse individually. The focus of that verse is on the body. 
the truth of the matter is, God's not always going to work everything out for our own personal good. Sometimes God is going to work our situation not for the good of ourselves, but for the good of others. That's not to say that God doesn't work things for our personal good. He very well does, but that's not the case every single time. And really, even when God works something for our personal good, it's still meant to be shared for the benefit of others. That's something we often miss in the Bible. We miss that God doesn't just bless us to bless us every time. Oftentimes, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. We should use what God gives us freely and freely give it to others to be a blessing to them and hopefully to bring them to the same life-saving faith that we now have. And really, we have to understand that even when God works something for our own personal good, it's still meant to be shared for the benefit of others. God is still wanting us to share this. There's a clear example that we will see of this later in the life of Joseph. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. What we have to understand, though, is that there's more than one side of a verse like this. In fact, there's more than one side of every verse. Most verses have multiple sides because there are multiple ways to apply the truth of Scripture in your life. And I know that sounds crazy, and that can sound sac sacrilegious almost, and some people could take that out of context to mean a whole bunch of things that I don't mean by that. But what I mean is that when we look at a verse like Romans 8.28, we have to understand that, yes, it means that God's going to work some things for our good, but not only for our good. There's another side of that, and that's the rest of to the believers, the rest of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. God's also not just going to work in our lives. He's going to work in their lives as well. Some verses are going to apply personally for your sole benefit. Others are going to apply for the benefit of others through your life. And sometimes it's going to benefit both you and others. That's just the simple way that God works. God's going to work everything in a situation for the good in the right way for that specific situation. And he's always going to do it in the way that would provide the best outcome. Not just the best outcome in the moment or in the second or the best outcome for the individual, but the best outcome overall. God wants to affect this entire world with his truth, and so he's going to work in whatever way he's going to best accomplish that, and it's going to look different in every situation. The best way that we have to understand this is to turn to the examples that we talked about earlier, and I think that there's no better place to start than with the life of the person who penned this verse. The Apostle Paul, he faced countless trials, but through every trial that he faced, he witnessed God work them all for the good of those who believe. And one such example of this is recorded in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, where Paul writes, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If there's an example of Romans 8.28 in the Bible, it's that right there. Because what Paul is saying is, I'm in prison. I've been chained for the gospel of Christ. But through my imprisonment, the body has been built up. The faith of others has been strengthened. People are preaching the gospel without fear and without shame because of how they see me living in this prison. God took the bad situation of Paul being imprisoned. You think Paul wanted to be in prison? No. But God was able to take that, turn it, and use it for the betterment of the greater church body. And that's how Romans 8.28 works. I mean, think about it this way. Paul's in prison for preaching the faith. And that's something that we would expect to see silence the church, but that's not what we see at all. What we instead see is the churches over here continuing to work and actually working harder 
because of the imprisonment of Paul. That's God's way of working for the good a bad situation. God's working all things. And in that case, all things is Paul in prison for doing righteous things, for doing good things. And God uses that for the betterment of those believers. Their faith was strengthened by the imprisonment of Paul. And this made Paul's suffering worth it because as we know, Paul's number one goal, what he was driven to do was to go forth and make disciples. He was given to do what God had called him to do. And so to be in prison, but to see people doing what he desired to see them do, see other people carrying on the ministry and doing more in the ministry because of what he was facing would have given Paul new strength, new courage. It would have helped him greatly in that moment to see people doing exactly what he knew God was calling them to do. I think that's amazing. I think this is an amazing thing to look at. Like I, I can't tell you how much that this verse means to me. And this is really, honestly, this section of the podcast about Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14 is really the verse that I read that made it click for me in my mind and made me feel led to talk about this on the podcast today because I was reading it and never before had I read this and truly understood and saw how that was an example of Romans eight twenty eight. how God in that moment in Paul's life was still working all things for the good. And we can see the joy that Paul finds in it. He's in a hard, difficult time. He is in prison for doing good and righteous things. We struggle as Christians sometimes to wake up late for work and not question God. But here we have a man who's in prison for the faith, and he's not questioning God. He's just happy to see how God is working through the lives of others through his struggle. But that's what Romans 8.28 is. And this isn't the only time that God worked through a tough situation in the life of Paul either. Years earlier, Paul and Silas were arrested in Philippi. So he's writing to the Philippians, which I think is interesting. But previously, he had been arrested in Philippi, where the Philippians live, hence Philippians, Philippi. And it was through that arrest and through that beating and all the surrounding circumstances that the keeper of the jail and his entire family were baptized and saved that very night. Had Paul and Silas not been in that prison, there's a very good chance that that man may have not been saved. But God took what was meant for evil. There were lies told about Paul and Silas. There was all this hubbub and things going on that caused them to get arrested, caused them to get thrown in prison. So what someone meant for evil, God meant for good. God worked all things for the good. God didn't imprison Paul and Silas. God didn't throw them in prison so that way this man would be saved. That's often the way that we want to look at things. But God doesn't do evil. God doesn't cause bad things to befall his people. God doesn't cause his people to be arrested and thrown in prison. That's the result of sin in our world. Sinful people not wanting to respond to the truth of the gospel that Paul and Silas were bringing is what caused Paul and Silas to be thrown in prison. But God took that evil and made it good by bringing to life-saving faith the jailer and his family that night. That's how God works all things for the good. God takes the bad situation and turns it for the good. The good, in this case, of an entire family being saved. That makes you wonder, what could God do in the bad in our own lives? If we're facing bad, difficult, troublesome, tiring times, what could God do in those moments to turn it for the good of somebody else? Who could be saved because of our struggle, our trial, or even our persecution? We're blessed in this country to not face as much persecution as we often claim. But in that persecution, if that persecution does come, we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to worry about it. But we can trust that like the persecution Paul and Silas faced, God can use it for the good. 
And what's amazing about this is that it was not just for Paul's personal gain and comfort. God didn't work all things for the good so that Paul could experience blessings and money and living in mansions and comfort. That's actually the exact opposite of what Paul faced basically his entire life. But what God worked for the good was that many souls might be saved. And that's really what God's working for the good in all things. The reason that we're still here, if you really think about it, is so that others can be saved. Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But it's better for you that I live because I'll be able to encourage you and uplift you in the faith. That's the mindset we should all have. The reason we're here, the reason that God leaves us here is for the betterment of others, so that others can be saved, so that we can encourage, uplift, and lead others into furtherance of truth, so that we can make disciples. If God wanted to bless you, he would take you to the land of blessing that is heaven. We're living in hell on earth. The devil's running rampant. Sin is running rampant in our world. This is, for lack of a better term, what hell will look like. Minus the flames and fire and the burning sulfur and those things. But this is, this is hell. Pain, suffering, sorrow, sadness, difficulties. We get a taste of heaven and the joy, peace, and the, the glory and the happiness and the beauty of this world. But that can't even compare to what we're going to receive in heaven. I don't mean to go off on that whole diatribe, but we need to realize that when God's working things for the good, it's for the good of people so that they'll make it to heaven, which is the true eternal reward, the true blessing in our lives. That's what God is leading us to. This life isn't the land of blessings. This isn't the place that we're supposed to be blessed. We're just supposed to get from this place to the next where true blessing is going. To, to re, well, I got lost in my words there but where the true blessings are going to be rewarded to us, where we're going to be given exactly what God intends to give us. Even in the worst situations, God is able to provide an opportunity to turn it for the good. That is, if like Paul, we hold on to the faith and allow God to use our situation. Think about it this way. A big part of the reason that Paul and Silas were used that night in the jail cell is because they didn't end up in jail and start complaining and whining. It's because they continued to live out their faith. They continued to sing praises and worship to God. They didn't condemn God or blame God once they made it to prison. Instead, they simply just kept trusting God like they always had. And that's what we need to do in times such as that. We need to continue to simply just trust God, to trust the process, to trust the system, and to love God knowing that the glory that awaits us is far better than our present suffering. It's able to outweigh our present suffering. That's another thing that God used Paul to write and what a man to use it to write it because he lived it more than most any of us are ever going to have to live it. The reason that Paul's times in prison were so affected is because his faith remained strong in and out of prison. No matter the situation, Paul trusted in God, and he kept serving, seeking, and praising God through anything. That's why it was so valuable. God still was able to use Paul in those tough situations. We have to choose these things. And that's something that I really struggled with and didn't even realize really until recently. But God provides us so much, but he doesn't force anything on us. God's going to provide you hope, joy, love, and peace. But you have to choose to accept hope, joy, love, and peace. Because you can choose to accept sorrow and anger and sadness. If you want to be sad, you can choose to be sad. It doesn't matter how much peace God tries to supply you if you don't choose to accept that peace and to walk in that peace. And that's an important thing that we need to understand. And it's the same in our difficult situations. 
God's going to not be able to use the situation we're going through for the good if we're not being willing to be used by God. What if the jailer had walked in and asked, what should we do to be saved? And you're like, ah, I don't want to talk about it right now. If Paul had done that, that Philippian jailer wouldn't have been saved, but it's because of Paul's willingness to still exercise his faith in the difficult times. And sometimes we're going to have to do just that so that Romans 8.28 can be active and alive in our lives. We will have to still trust and serve and follow God in the right way so that people can be blessed by it, so that all things can be worked for the good. God's working them, but he has to have willing vessels that are willing to be worked, and Paul was one of those vessels. He fully believed that God was going to work all things for the good of those who believed, and so that's why God used him in that way. Paul knew that regardless of the situation he was facing, God was able to make something good from it, and that's exactly what he did every single time. Even in one of, I think, what Paul's maybe most difficult struggles was, and that being his thorn in the flesh, because this was something that was going to affect Paul for really for the rest of his life, as far as that we can tell from Scripture. He refers to this ailment that he has as his thorn in the flesh, and he prays to God three times that God would take it away, that God would deliver it from him. And God replies pretty simply, as far as the Bible records, by saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I don't know about you, but that would be a tough word to hear today. I believe that many of us would struggle with search, a, search such a word from God today. I mean, just put yourself in Paul's shoes. He had prayed and seen many healed of their infirmities. I mean, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I mean, think about that. You're Paul. You're the guy who people are just putting handkerchiefs on, taking them to sick people, Sick people are getting better, but when you turn to God in your time of need, you're told, no, no, no. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm made strong in your weakness. But God, I, I do this, I do that. Paul didn't say that. Many of us, I personally, would be on that boat probably, to say something like that, to say, God, but what about this? What about that? You've used me for all these things. But God's saying, no, you don't need that. I need to work something through this. And that's what he was doing in that life. Or in that example, when, when Paul had his thorn in his flesh, that's what God's doing. God's saying, no, I need to work something in this for you. I need to move in this in a good way. And that's something that Paul did accept. He accepted his thorn in the flesh. And that's because he was able to see how the thorn in his flesh would humble him and keep him connected with God. I really like how Paul talks about this, both when he brings up the thorn in the flesh and as he closes out his discussion on the thorn in the flesh. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being coming conceited. In that verse, Paul addresses both sides of his issue. That thorn was a tactic of the enemy to harass him, but God was able to work it for the good and use it to keep him humble. And then he rounds out the ver this, this whole concept in verses 9 and 10 by saying, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul 
in these verses is showing that he realizes that God is able to work even his weakness for good. By being weak, Paul was forced to continue to rely on God, not his own strength or abilities. That's something that Paul seems to be thankful for. He seems to be thankful to know that he needs to rely on God. We should strive to live our lives in a similar way to Paul, realizing that if God didn't give us some difficulties in life, we would become prideful. We would struggle with humility. Sometimes God has given you a challenge, allowing not even just giving you a challenge. I don't want to say it like that because I don't believe that God was the one that put the thorn in the flesh. Obviously, it says that it was a tactic of the enemy. But God allowed the thorn to remain in Paul so that Paul could be bettered by it. Because had Paul had the thorn removed and had nothing to humble him, it's very easy to believe that he would have become prideful to an space that would have caused him to stray, stray away from God. And that's something that it's important to understand. We need to have the right mindset and to realize that sometimes God's allowing things to stay in our lives, whether that's sickness, whether that's financial trouble, whether that's this or that. Sometimes God's going to allow those things to stay in our lives because he needs to work them for our good. He needs to use them to keep us from going down the wrong path, from straying away from him. Now, does that mean that God doesn't answer all of our prayers? Does that mean that God's not a healer because sometimes he's not going to heal our needs? Is, is God going to cause us to have to suffer through our lives? The honest answer is sometimes. Sometimes God's not going to answer your prayer. Sometimes God's not going to heal you. Sometimes God's not going to move in your life because it's not for your good. God knows what you need. God knows what's good for you. We often think that we know what we need, but what we have to understand is that God knows better. God knows what you need, and he's going to find a way to meet that need. God's going to do what is ever is best for the believer in every individual situation. And that goes both ways still. Now, I'm not just saying that God's going to work things just for your good, but he's going to work things for the good of all people. But there are things that God may allow to stay in your life that you would like to see not be in your life because of the discomfort, because of this or that. But it's that thing that keeps you connected to God. That's the thing that keeps you where you need to be with the Lord. And so God's going to use it for the best in your life. Apparently, the best thing for Paul was to not be healed because he needed to remain humble and not slip away from God and pride. God's not going to do something that causes people to be led away from him. And that's why I'm saying this very same thing could be true in your life. It may be best that your prayer doesn't get answered in the way that you hope because it would cause you to later walk away from God. God's never going to provide something in your life that will cause you to forsake him because he loves you and he wants to preserve your faith and salvation. Nothing's more important to God than your salvation, than you being saved, than you walking down the narrow path that leads to salvation. God doesn't care about anything more than he cares about that. Actually, I plan to make a short, probably after I finish up this podcast today, talking about the fact that God is more concerned with the amount of faith in your heart than he is the amount of finances in your bank account. That's what God's more concerned with, and we often fail to realize that. God's primary concern is not our blessings in this life, if those blessings keep us from him and where we need to be. God's greatest blessing he can give you is to walk through this life, to make it to the pearly gates, and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you want to be blessed by God, be blessed spiritually. Be blessed in the things that keep you connected with God. Seek God first, and all other things will be added to you. That's what the Bible says. If we're on that right path, there will be good things added to our life. There will be different kinds of blessings that I do believe God will begin to pour out in our lives. But first, 
he's going to be way more concerned about the level of faith that you have, the level of dedication to him and seeking him that you have in your own life. And we shouldn't ever lose sight of that. But God is still a healer. Praise God. The Bible promises us that God is still a healer. The Bible promises us that God hears our prayers, and because he hears them, we can know that he will answer them. Now, he's going to answer them to the best in our life. He's not going to give us things that are bad for us, as we've already discussed. But God is a healer, and God is a prayer answerer. And in situations that will not adversely affect someone's salvation, God will provide the healing. Because that's something you can see in your Bible. If you open your Bible, you can see how Jesus was able to heal a blind man, a man who was blind from birth, and in doing so, increase the faith of that man as well as many others. If we look at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, it says, And he passed by. He saw a a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That's a pretty interesting passage of Scripture. And if we look at it without taking into account the rest of Scripture, we could falsely believe that Jesus is saying that this man was caused to be born blind by God just so that God could open his eyes in that moment. But we know that God doesn't cause sickness, disease, and disability to enter our world. God doesn't do that. Those all come as a result of man's sin. God didn't cause this man to be born blind just so that he could heal him in that exact moment. But God did use this man's natural blindness as an opportunity to build his faith and stand as a strong testimony to those who had always known him. Jesus' ultimate point in this verse is that sin is not the cause of anyone's illness or disability. Those are parts of living in a broken world. That's just the simple truth. We have sicknesses, we have disabilities, we have astigmatism and the issues of the eyes. We have all these different ailments, not because God wants to to put them on you, but as a result of sin. In the garden, they didn't have these things. But when man sinned, sickness entered our world. And that's why we have the things that we have today. These are simply parts of living in a broken world. But God is able to use all manner of sickness and physical abnormalities to display his power over all things. And that's what Jesus meant. We have to remember that the purpose of signs, miracles, and wonders isn't to amaze us. Jesus wasn't some grand magician who came into our world to entertain and to amaze and to captivate the audiences of the world and to get money and fame and fortune and things like that. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus wasn't a magician. He was God in the flesh. That's what the Bible tells us. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelled in him. That's what your scripture says. That's what your Bible says. He was making himself known to the world through the miracles, signs, and wonders that he did. He exercised power that only God can possess. And he was doing very specific things at very specific times in order to affect the most lives in the best way. The signs, miracles, and wonders that Jesus performed then and those that still take place today are meant to display the power and might of God, inspiring and strengthening the faith of those who witness it. I think that we can 
be honest that nothing's going to build our faith more than answered prayer. When we realize and understand that God answered our prayer, it really opens us. We're like, wow, God, God heard me and he answered my prayer. And I've experienced that in my own life. I know for a fact. I believe that my wife was an answer to prayers that I prayed. And maybe that's something that we should get into in another episode of the Better Together podcast at some point. Um, but that is an honest truth that I believe. And it really affected my faith and it affected my walk with God for this to happen. And I've seen other signs and miracles take place, things that don't make sense. Just out in the complete transparency. And maybe this will tune some people out and I apologize for it. But there's a man that attends our church and he was blind. He had the, the cane. He had everything. His wife would help him go to the bathroom, all those things. Like he was fully legally blind, couldn't see. And one day he went down to be prayed for at church. And some people prayed for him. And he came back, I think it was the following Wednesday. He didn't have that cane anymore. And he went up to what's now our youth pastor. It's our pastor's son who had been one of the people who'd prayed for him. And he said, you know, I like that green tie, Nolan. And Nolan's like, wait, what? And he looks and he's like, he's got a green tie. And that guy could see what he had. And what's most amazing about that, if we think about God working all things for the good, is that this man was blind and his wife was his helpmate. She was helping him in everything in life. And God gave him sight. And God gave him that sight shortly before his wife passed away. That's an amazing thing to think about. God worked in that for so many ways in the good. One, God made it to where, and I saw him just this weekend at church, and he's, he's not in the best condition because he's got some breathing issues and some other health problems, but he was by himself, walking around, able to see, going to the, he was, actually, I believe he was coming out of the bathroom when I saw him. He was able to do that by himself, something that used to have his wife needed to help him. And this has probably been five years of him being able to see after I don't even know how long of being legally blind. But I believe that God gave him a blessing in that, for multiple reasons. One, he was able to see his wife for a short time before she passed away. That's a blessing in and of itself. If you're married, you know how blessed it would be to get to see your wife's face again. And not just that, but your children and so many other things. But to see your wife's face again before she passed away is a great blessing. And then to be able to take care of yourself when your helpmate passes away, that's the way God blesses and the God moves. And that's built my faith up as well. But that's what signs, miracles, and wonders do. That's what answered prayer does. It, ans it builds our faith. It draws us closer to God, and that's exactly what God has always intended it to do. And that's what we see in this verse of Scripture, because as a result of this man being healed, his faith was built up. And not only that, not only did he come to life-saving faith, but he was given a testimony that could not be argued against by the people in his local area. They knew him to be blind. They knew what his life had been like, but God used that for the good and the betterment, not only of that man, but for everyone that he took the testimony of Jesus Christ to. That is how God works. And in a similar way of the testimony, God using good or using bad for good and turning every situation and working all things, what about the demon-possessed man? When Jesus goes over and he encounters this man, and he heals him, and he casts all the demons out of him. And that man, for the first time in years, is in his right mind once again. And he goes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, can I please go with you? And Jesus says, no. But I want you to go forth and tell all the people here what I've done for you. Well, all the people there knew who that man was. His testimony was going to be far more powerful on the place that he was from, the people 
and to the people who had seen him in the condition of being possessed by a legion of demons. It was going to be a far greater testimony there than it would have been anywhere else Jesus was going to go. And God used that. God worked for the good, a bad situation, the possession of a man. God worked that for the good of that man as well as all the people that he would encounter in the faith after that. That's how God is working all things to the good of those who believe. Now, I do think it's worth mentioning how also Jesus healed many blind people during his three years of ministry, but he healed them in many different ways. One person was healed by making mud and spreading it on their eyes, while another Jesus healed simply by touching their eyes, and the person was given sight. We're not given specific reasons to why Jesus operated in this way. The Bible never explains this. He never explains why some people are healed one way and some people are healed another way. It just gives us these examples. But I think what we can learn from this is that God may choose to move in our situation in a different way than how he chooses to move in the same situation for someone else. I think that's something that many of us have struggled with before. We think, God, I see how you did it for them. Why aren't you doing the same thing for me right now? But God knows better. He knows the best way to reach into our situation, to move on our behalf. God knows, and that's exactly why he's going to do things in the way that he's going to do them. And sometimes we're not going to be able to understand it. We may not be able to see it, but God's going to work things for the good that best serves our specific situation or the specific situation of someone else. We shouldn't become discouraged when God doesn't seem to be doing the exact same thing in our life that he did for someone else. We should simply just trust that God knows what is best, and we should find comfort that God doesn't just give us something generic, right? God doesn't just reach into our situation generically, oh, this will fit them. No, God custom tailors. God doesn't just give you the -the off-the-rack clothes or the -the off-the-rack suit. God gives you the custom job. God gives you exactly what you need, a true fit to your specific situation. And so we shouldn't become discouraged when maybe we're facing the same situation someone else in our church did, but God's not doing for us what he did for them. God's going to do for you exactly what you need him to do for you. He's going to move in your situation in the best possible way. He's orchestrating things to ultimately prepare you over time to get you right where you are supposed to be, not where they're supposed to be. You're supposed to be somewhere. You're supposed to do something. And God's going to orchestrate things to put you where you need to be. And I referenced it earlier, but now it's time to turn to the life of Joseph because that's exactly what God did in the life of Joseph. God took a situation that seemed bleak, that seemed difficult, and he turned it for the best of Joseph. His story is another clear picture of how God works everything for the good of those who believe. And Joseph points to this fact when making his well-known statement to his brothers, and I've kind of referenced it in some places, but in Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I also want to apologize just real quick. I'm so sorry. But if you can hear the weed eater or the leaf blower sounds, the microphone i apologize i don't even i don't even know who i can hear leaf blowing from my house down here but i notice it and if it's coming through the microphone i apologize i'm going to read that verse again but i just wanted to get that out there because it seemed like it was going to maybe end and it's just keeping going and i apologize but we're already 35 minutes into this podcast guys we got to keep going we got to keep going but i'm going to keep it real with you i don't know who's leaf blowing i don't know what that's about but maybe god's going to work it for the good in some way right 
That's exactly what we're here talking about. I'm just going to trust and believe that God can use it. And if you can't hear it, that's awesome, and I've wasted far too much time talking about this. But back to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph's saying, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's an amazing statement of faith. And it becomes more amazing when you look over Joseph's life. Because Joseph dreamed dreams. He had these dreams of his entire family bowing down before him. And these dreams kind of upset his family a little bit, right? And it upset his brothers to the point where they wanted to kill him, but then they decided we're not going to kill him, we'll just sell him into slavery. And so they sold him into slavery to some traders. Those traders traded him to a man named Potiphar, and so he began to serve in Potiphar's house. And then kind of things got to be going pretty well, right? Things are going well, he becomes more and more in charge of the things of Potiphar's house, but then he catches the attention of Potiphar's wife. And Joseph is an honorable man, but Potiphar's wife was not an honorable woman. And so she tries to force herself on Joseph. Joseph, doing the right thing, flees out of the scene. But in doing so, she rips his coat off. Well, being jaded, being angry, being upset, when her husband comes home, she says that Joseph tried to force himself on her. Potiphar, doing what most of us would do, trusting his wife, throws Joseph in jail. Falsely, obviously. And now Joseph's in the jail cell. And so Joseph's there, but God's still with him and things begin to go well. And then there's some people show up and they have some dreams and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. And one of them is going to go back to be Pharaoh's cupbearer. And so Joseph asks him, please, when you get before Pharaoh again, can you please bring my case before him? Can you tell me about him? And the guy's like, yeah, 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 sure. Then he leaves and Joseph waits and waits and nothing happens. And over time, he begins to realize that nothing is going to happen. Until one day, the Pharaoh dreams a dream. And the cupbearer is reminded of Joseph. And then he is called before Pharaoh. He gives the interpretation. And he's given rule over all the kingdom to prepare for the famine. A famine that was so sweeping across the land that it affected his family. Until his dream finally came true. When people finally came before him came to him seeking food, seeking what they needed, and bowed down before him in doing so. But God took the anger, the hatred, and the evil that his family meant against him. His brothers sold him into slavery because of the anger and the hatred they had, but God turned it for good. And every time, he wrote an up and a down life, if you really think about it. But every time God was with him and God was orchestrating things in the background and tur turning those things for the good, God was able to lead the entire situation to where that the entire family of Joseph could be saved. And by doing so, the lineage of Jesus and the promise made to Abraham was saved. Had all these things not transpired, had God not used this for the good, then there would be no Jewish race today. They would have ended with Jacob's family, but they didn't. They continued because God took what was meant for evil and worked it for good. Joseph's life story and his statement of faith are exactly what Romans 8.28 looks like. His story was up and down and bad and good, but God was working through every aspect of it to prepare him, to put him where he needed to be, to get him in front of Pharaoh so that he could save his people. The devil probably thought he won. He thought he ended. Joseph had the dreams, but how can the dreams come true when he's in slavery, when he's in prison? But he still was given rule, and he still had his family bow down to him. And that's God working things for 
the good, working everything for the good, not just for Joseph, but his entire family. I mean, Joseph, by the time his family showed up, Joseph was living a great life, right? He was living in the palace. He had all the food. He had everything. He had the rule over the entire kingdom. The only person above him in the kingdom was Pharaoh. But then God not only gave good things to Joseph, but through the good things he gave to Joseph, he also blessed Joseph's entire family. And how cool and amazing and great is that? That God can do such incredible things in our lives. God's able to work things for the good in so many ways. And we see that in Joseph's life because it's what Romans 8.28 still promises that God's going to do. God's going to work everything for the good of everyone who believes. Most really want this verse to mean that God's going to turn every situation into a good one for them. But that's not what the verse says, nor is it what we've seen in Scripture today. Romans 8.28 simply says God will work all things for the good of those who believe. Not that God will change all things to become good. Not that God's going to work every situation in your life for your own personal good. That's simply not what the Bible says. What it does say is that God is able to take every situation, good, bad, or indifferent, and give it meaning that it would not be able to have without Him. God works every situation for the good of both the individual and the body. We shouldn't expect the good God is working in the situations we face in life to only affect ourselves. God will use what we face in life to also be a blessing towards others, and we should be blessed by that. We should be glad that there's some way that God is using what we face in our lives to be a blessing to other people. That is amazing. It's amazing that God would do just that. And sometimes it's even as simple as the testimony of faith and peace in a tough situation that speaks to the heart of the lost and draws them to God. I mean, I think that's really what we saw in the life of Paul, is he had peace in the valley, right? In dark times, he had the light in his life. He had joy. He had hope. He had all those things. Still, he still had God in all those things, and he still continued to live for God in every single situation that he faced. And that testimony spoke to others and inspired faith in the life of countless other individuals. And that's the kind of good that God can work through our lives. We should find joy in that fact. We should find joy in the fact that our faith is causing the faith of others to grow because God is working that for the good in our life as well as theirs. That's the kind of thing we should have. I think that's why Paul was so happy is because he wasn't focused on himself. He didn't just take an interest in his own needs, but an interest in the needs of others as well, just as the Bible says that we ought to do. And then through everything, we should continue to trust the process. We should trust that God, even when it seems like nothing good is coming for our situation, is still doing something good from it. What we have to realize is, like Joseph, he faced many years of bad and hard times. Like I said, he was up and down. He rode the roller coaster of good times and bad times and, oh, things are going to get better. Oh, no, they're not. He rode that roller coaster, but every time that something bad happened, God turned it, used it for the good, and still got Joseph right to where he needed to be. Every time the enemy came after him, God came back better and gave him something better. There was a lot that he had to overcome in his life, but at just the right time, God made it apparent how he had been working all things for the good the entire time. And that's why Joseph was able to make that statement. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God used what you tried to do to me for evil for the betterment not only of myself, but for our entire family. That's what Joseph told his brothers. And that's why he spared them, even after his father was dead. He could have taken any wrath, vengeance, rage out that he wanted to, but instead 
He was able to see how God used their situation, their evil, for good, and he could see that he could still love them and still respect them and still not treat them harshly because God used what they did, and if it wasn't for what they did, God would have brought it about obviously a different way, but maybe he was happy with the way that things work out. Even when you can't see it or feel it, know that God is working in your life for the good of all those who believe. And what a blessing that is. One thing that I never thought about until I was preparing for this podcast is that God continues to work for the good of those who believe in every single one of these situations. God's still using these situations to work the good in the lives of others, as well as countless other accounts that we have in Scripture, so many that we couldn't even begin to go into them today. Every example you have in the Bible, God's still working that example for the good of believers today. Events that took place thousands and thousands of years ago, somehow God is still able to use them to help us living today. And he's doing that by encouraging us, uplifting us, strengthening us, and using those accounts and those verses penned by these people to be the ones that drive us in our faith today, to be the ones that help us to understand biblical truth such as Romans 8.28. It's through the Bible that God is blessing us and helping us in this way. We are encouraged and strengthened in our faith by the accounts that happen to others. And so that's amazing to think that God is still using what happened to them for the good. I really think it's amazing. I really honestly do. And I think it can help us understand that God is working things in our life for the good of others in ways that we may never know. Those people, Paul and Joseph and the blind man that Jesus healed, they had no way to know that that would still affect people thousands of years later. And they won't know until we meet again in heaven and get to tell them about how what they went through affected us and helped us when we needed it. There's no telling the ripple effect that we can have. They had a ripple effect that's still stretching through time today. And if we live our lives right for God and we continue to share our faith, walk in our faith, and act in our faith, there's no telling what God will be able to do through our individual situations. It's going to have an effect on this world for Christ for many years to come. That's a great hope and a great way to look at every situation we face in life is how can I use this situation to be a blessing and a help to others? I hope that this has truly helped you today to understand Romans 8, 28 a little bit better. I hope that you can see what this verse really means. It's not all about you. It's not all about your blessings and how God can work your situations for your own personal good, but it's about how God can work both for you and for others, and that God's going to work in good situations, bad situations, in different situations. God's going to orchestrate things. God's going to work things, and it's going to be for your betterment, whether you can realize it or see it or not, and I think that's just a great blessing. This verse is so important to our faith, and it can really help us in difficult times, but it's only ever going to truly help us when we know what it says. I talked about it in the beginning, but if you believed that it was all about you and God was always going to work every situation for your own personal good in your life, you're going to struggle. You're going to have hard times because you're going to learn that that's not always the case. You're not always going to be able to find the good that God's working in your life, but you shouldn't need to. You should be able to see beyond yourself and be able to see how God maybe is using this so that you can be a blessing to others or to just bless the life of others in ways that you may not be able to see, as well as the fact that maybe God is just doing something in your life that you'll never see what it does, but you can trust that God does something through it. That's the kind of realization that we need to have. 
it's important that we never forget that it's not all about us. And God is working all things for the good of all those who believe all places and everywhere. And how blessed that we are to know that God is able to bless others through what we face in our own personal life. Bad times are still going to come. But praise God that no matter what comes our way or what evil is meant against us, he is able to turn it for the good in someone's life. I believe that that's worthy of praise. I believe that's being worthy of giving thanks to God to know that no matter what, what we face in life is going to help someone in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. What a great blessing that is. Again, I hope that this podcast has helped you today. I hope that it's touched your heart. I hope it's helped you to understand this verse. And if it has, I hope that you'd partner with us in this ministry. And I'm not asking you for anything financial. But what I'm asking for you is just a few moments of your time to like, comment, or subscribe. If you're listening on a podcast app, maybe it's time to rate it. Or maybe you could do the best thing and share this podcast, share how it helped you, tell other people about it, and just help other people to become associated with this podcast to know this podcast so that they can live with more of God and less of themselves and I think that's part of Romans eight twenty eight, is when we realize that it's not all about us the more God we have and the less of ourselves we have the more we're able to realize that it's not all about us and that God is going to work things in our lives for the good of others as well as ourselves but I do hope that you'll help us by partnering with this ministry sharing commenting, liking subscribing all those things help us more than you know that's the kind of things that help us get to more people, new audiences, and to just reach the people with the truth of the gospel. And the other thing that you have to realize is that I don't just want you to do that with this ministry, but every ministry you listen to, support them in those ways. Like their videos, comment, subscribe, you know, share their podcast, rate their podcast on iTunes. I know it's something that I could do better about too, but that's a way that we can be active in the faith and active in getting the truth of God out is by sharing and commenting and supporting ministries just like this one. So don't just do it for us, but do it for others as well. Do whatever you can to help ministries grow and to reach new audiences so that way more and more people can come to life-saving truth and better understand the gospel message. I do hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. And until we see you guys in the next podcast, God bless. God bless.